Hey guys, it's a bonus episode, and uh, hopefully you can pull some good tidbits out of it. It's a good episode, and it's brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Thanks. All right, welcome back to Backwards Bowhunter, and as promised, uh, we have our guest on the phone. Mr. John Stallone is with us. John is the host of Days in the Wild podcast, so check that out, as well as, dude, you're a, you're a busy man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Days in the Wild Outfitters and the host of the Days in the Wild TV. You're on Carbon TV, right? Um, yeah, those are. I mean, that's all my. I, I haven't produced a new um, a new show since I think 2017 or 2016. Jesus, been a while. Um, okay. Yeah i I stopped. I still do. I try to produce at least like one film a year, and uh, you know, just like a long version style. Uh, film I just I don't do the TV stuff anymore I got tired of the of the business of it really I miss I actually miss the camera and I miss the uh, creativity and all the stuff that went into uh, producing the show I just the business part of it sucks I mean chasing down sponsorships and dealing with all that crap and it's oh, a very crappy business model really I mean honestly it's the only TV out there for the most part where somebody isn't paying you to produce something and then they go out and get the advertisement dollars to pay for it. Right. Um, it's the, it's the opposite. You have to pay for your airtime and all that stuff up front and hope that you have somebody to, you know, foot the bill basically. So it's, uh, it's not a great business model and it's <laughs> and it's it's really trying on you it takes a lot away from the fun of of uh being out there so sounds like you're constantly chasing your tail basically you know yeah yeah for sure um are you still active on youtube i mean I've, most of the videos i've seen of yours have been yeah through that, that i am platform, but. those are all like so I'll, I'll produce uh you know short uh short films of my hunts um, not all of them, you know, I'll pick two or three a year. Um, I probably do for myself six or seven hunts a year, um, where it used to be more like 14. It does, that's the other thing too. Like my family got bigger. It was a little tougher to be gone as long. I used to be gone like 120 days a year. I'm still do about, I still do about 80, 80 days a year in the field. So, but nice. how old are your kids now? Um, I have a 13 year old, an 11 year old, and a six year old. Yeah, similar to mine. I have a 16 and a 12. Um, are they, uh, I'm assuming they are involved in the, the beautiful great outdoors? Like yeah, dad? yeah. Uh, actually, this weekend, both of my girls have a uh, youth turkey tag here. Um, and, um, uh, my eldest is she's been on a turkey hunt before, but we only really gave it a, it was like a half a day to be honest with you. And um I don't know, she wanted to quit for some other reason, so we never really got into birds. It's a little difficult out here. It's not like uh, I've hunted turkey in the Midwest and there's a lot more birds there. Yeah, yeah. And um you know, you you kind of hunt them, not not that you hunt them like whitetail, but you hunt 
areas that, you know, you would hunt whitetail. Over here, it's more like elk hunting, and they're so few and far between. Um, you have to cover a lot of ground, and, mm-hmm. you know, you're, yeah, you're, you're doing a lot of location type stuff. And then once you hear a gobble, you're, you know, you're, you're covering ground to get in closer and try to get them, you know, sweet talk them in or whatever, but it's a little different. It's actually a really fun hunt. Um, but it's, I don't think it's really well suited for kids as it is back East or in the Midwest. You know, you're, yeah. it's hard to just set up a ground blind in a good area and throw some decoys out. So if they're not willing to hike around a bunch and all that stuff, it's a little harder. Well, the guy sitting across the table from me here um, spent the last week chasing uh, eastern turkeys, and uh, I don't think he wants to talk about it. But um, <laughs> I'm in the same I'm in the same boat, man. I just came back from California trying to get a Rio, and I screwed it up three times. I was I had three perfect opportunities, and I just I just freaking sucked. We I was actually hunting with a pellet gun instead of a shotgun. Shit. Yeah, okay. so over there, there you're allowed to use a you know piece a precharged pellet rifle, um, and it's it's nuts. I, I I still can't. I keep replaying it over and over in my head, and the stupidity that you know that screwed up my my opportunities i can hit no joke with that gun i could hit 100 yards i could hit a uh you know on a turkey silhouette target i could hit it right in the head no problem Jeez. and man i was i screwed up way easier well, shots i didn't have that. an opportunity to screw up <laughs> <laughs> that's i didn't almost, have an opportunity to mess it up that's i just almost worse. completely didn't see shit oh that sucks yeah we had uh two hands we had this one uh, setup where I didn't really have an opportunity, so I'm not even counting this in the screw up. But we had four birds. Um, they were young toms, but they were toms. They definitely weren't jakes. And man, we had them there. We had them within 60 yards for four and a half hours. I've never done that in my life. Like kept birds interested that long, and they kept coming. Did you say four and a half. Four and a half hours. Wow. Four and a half hours. And I, that morning, I decided I was going to hunt with my uh, with my recurve, and where they came in, they came in on the other side of this, um, just a bob wire fence, just a regular two strand, nothing crazy. Uh, but they wouldn't cross it. Um, <laughs> and my, you know, my decoy setup was on the other side. My buddy was set up behind me. Uh, he had a shotgun. He ended up shooting one. Four and a half hours later. And in California, you have to use steel shot or, uh, you know, non, non lead. And he had steel he didn't have the TSS or anything like that. And he shot the bird and it was on the ground flopping and he got up and it took off and he never got another <laughs> shot at it. And we couldn't find it. We went back and we patterned his gun. I swear to God at 30 yards, on a three by three cardboard, I think we counted maybe twenty five pellets in there. I'm like, oh, dude, what, the, what, what is going on here? Did you not shoot this gun? You know, try to pattern this gun before you took it out. You know, nice gun too. It was Benelli and everything. I just like, I'm like, dude, yeah, we need to, <laughs> need to put that away. Get something else. Have <laughs> so, a turkey choke. Um, I, I think he was running. With the well, with the steel, you can't put a turkey choke. You have to run. 
Okay. Um, so we can still mod- use lead here. So. I think you have to use modified with steel. I don't think you could go a full choke. But still, I mean, come on. It was 30 yards yeah, so away. Still, should still do it, yeah. 30 yards away with a 12-gauge, 3-inch shell. It should have freaking, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Should have his ass apart. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, and he was pissed, man. He was, <laughs> we busted our asses so much. But then he ended up getting one the next day with his pellet gun. So. Well, that's good. Cool, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I didn't. I, I shot and I missed. We, we literally shot at the same time. We were about 50 yards apart. Two different birds came in. Yeah, it was a interesting trip, nice. but lots of opportunity. California's got a lot of birds. So, yeah, that's awesome. Anyway, I have never been, uh, never been to California, but maybe one of these days. My my wife's aunt actually lives um, not too far outside of San Diego. Yeah, so I have reasons to go. I just never do. Yeah, you you're gonna if you want to go up, to, you have to go north of San Francisco, Sacramento, that area. Um, I've haunted in Southern California. So basically anything that's under Santa Barbara is considered Southern Cali. I think, I don't know. They keep changing the line, but, um, Southern Cali is tough. Uh, lots of good people down there. Lots of, I mean, it's okay deer hunting, um, especially in the desert, but mm-hmm. I prefer to be up North. The weather's really nice. I go up there every July to go hunt blacktail. So, nice pigs. Anyway, so, so but, uh, I oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I didn't want this to be a. I was just gonna say. So I told you. I told you in the email we tend to uh, not stay too scripted. So I think. <laughs> oh yeah. So far we've uh, we've managed to not stay on script at all. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell me uh, if you don't care. Tell me about your background, man. I mean, where, sure, where you're from and I I believe you're uh, from New York. Yeah, that's all on your. It yeah. seems like we have kind of a similar trajectory almost. I mean, I'm, I'm not from New York. I've been Southern redneck my whole life. But um, as far as like when we took up archery and everything, it's kind of on the similar to each other. So uh, just tell me your background and how you got into hunting and, and, you know, what led you to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I've been hunting. I, I actually took my first deer at five years old with my dad. Um, he had me hold his, his gun and we shot one of them up in uh basically binghamton new york um and uh i was born in brooklyn and i went deer hunting every year with my dad we did a little bit of pheasant hunting out on long island um but every morning i mean we would go and go shoot squirrels and birds and god knows what else with my pellet gun and my dad and you know i moved to long island when i was pretty fairly young i can't remember now i think it was seven i know it was kindergarten so whatever age that is uh six i think and and um i moved to arizona when I, right before i turned 16 and i'm 46 now so i've been living here for 30 some odd years uh 31 years and um yeah i picked up i picked up bow hunting actually in long island uh, when I was like 13 and I didn't really do very good at it. Um, I was hunting with a recurve at the time and I got a bear white tail, I think was my first compound. If I remember, that's the one. Um, and, uh, kind of got into that. I, I wish, <clears throat> excuse me, had been shooting 
archery for a very long time. My dad got me one of those green fiberglass, you know, long bows, 20 pounder, you know, when I was real young, probably eight, seven, something like that. So I was always killing <laughs> squirrels and God knows what else in my backyard. And, and then, uh, you know, just, I moved here and, uh, started doing a little bit of big game hunting here with rifle and stuff like that. Cause that's what my uncles and my dad would do and nobody bow hunted and I started kind of going down the road with, uh, you know, getting heavier into bow hunting myself. And, uh, one thing led to another and it became a passion of mine. And uh, here I am today. Um, as far as, you know, backgrounds concerned, I've, I've got a degree in rangeland management and ecology, uh, certified deer steward and certified forestry. Um, you know, I've been writing for, I've been in the actual hunting industry for since like 2001, uh, is when I got my first paying gig. Um, you know, I, I wrote for many magazines. I wrote a couple of, I authored a couple of books, The Secrets of Hunting Western Game and The Whitetail Hunter's Blueprint, and uh, owned the Hunting Channel Online, was the first to start online TV before YouTube, and uh, yeah, man, I've kind of worn a bunch of bunch of hats, <laughs> done a lot of different things, and had a podcast yes, now. you have. Yeah, I've had my podcast since... Well, I started it in 2004 and almost 2005, and then I did it for like seven years just for the hunting channel, and or six years just for the hunting channel. I can't remember exactly when. Then I took like two years off, and then I restarted it again, and that's when I brought it to the masses. So like it was like, I believe 2014 or 2000, might have been 2015 when it was on like uh, Apple, I, you know, Apple Podcasts and stuff like that. And you've changed names for it, if I understand correctly. Right, right yeah. Already. It used to be called uh, Interviews with the Hunting Masters. And, uh, you know, my TV show, my guide service is all named Days in the Wild. My blog is named Days in the Wild. And I had this carryover, Interviews with the Hunting Masters, which was, like I said, was for the Hunting Channel originally. And I originally kept that name, you know, because I had, you know, back podcasts and all this other stuff. So when I brought it on Apple and all that, um, it just made sense to me at the time. But then as I moved forward, I was like, man, there's like no synergy. And the other thing was mm -hmm. people, you know, they look at interviews with the hunting masters and they're like, oh, this guy thinks he's a hunting master or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's a little pretentious sounding, yeah, I right. guess. And, and right. it's long. Too. That's the other thing. It's like a long, long name. Um, so, yes, I changed it, I think, three years ago to match everything else to Days in the Wild. How many uh, episodes are you into that? Um, I think we're at four or five. Hold on. I'm actually going to look at that up right now. Four something. Um, that's awesome. That, that's, you know without the stuff that I did previously on the hunting channel. Um, yeah, I it's like did the same thing. We, 439. We started off 
439. Yeah. Yeah, so we're at uh, 49 <laughs> as we record this. <laughs> nice. Nice, nice. But you know, you got to start somewhere, right? Absolutely. Start. Absolutely. Uh, and it ebbs and flows. You know, it's a it's a interesting, especially now there's so many podcasts out there. We, yeah. man, yeah. Um, I've seen the trends like like it it changes so so frequently it's it's really weird but um yeah you know when we started um much like what you said a minute ago with a different name we started as illinois bow hunter and mm -hmm. somewhere along the way i decided uh, you know <clears throat> trying to centerize our schedule too you know is try to get i didn't i don't know it seemed like illinois bow hunter almost seems too niche like i i didn't want people to find our show on the various platforms and think well i don't hunt illinois so i'm not going to listen to that right um, right you know so that's why we kind of uh, redirected that a little bit to where we are now but uh, when we started the show our idea behind it was you know let's let's have some fun and let's talk bow hunting you know which is what we do and sometimes yeah sometimes. <laughs> and if it gets downloaded great if it don't so be it you know i mean i've i've been uh humbled by the amount of of uh, attention the show has drawn already but um I, I wasn't into it for that you know it was i don't care if it ever gets monetized i don't you know i just it's yeah it's a passion and something to talk about and we have a good time doing it you know so that's awesome. Hopefully one of these days we're in our mid 400s in the episodes too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll get there. <laughs> Just keep sure. at it. I mean, yeah. it's hard, it's hard not to get burnt out. You know, a lot of times you have guests on and you're like, I feel like I've already heard this, you know, <laughs> especially, right. yeah, especially right. for my podcast was very, uh, tactics, um, you know, Q and a type, um, tactic, style podcast um i've since kind of gone away from that a little bit and i plan on going back to that a little bit now but uh, i was i had changed it up and started doing more story-based stuff um and picking apart the story and pulling out the information from the story like from the people's experiences versus me saying well what do you do when this and this and that you know right so um but I, you know, it's, it's hard to keep things fresh. You know, you do it for a long enough time. Uh, eventually you, you know, it's not like you're, you know, like a Joe Rogan where he could talk about anything, right? We're, we're talking about hunting. Yes. There's a lot of different niches in hunting and there's a lot of different things you can hunt and ways you can hunt them. So there's a lot of material out there, but it's not endless. Like, you know, just being able to talk about anything. So it yeah, definitely it we, definitely takes some doing <laughs> yeah we find that we can generally keep content fresh and moving when we're in season you know because we're constantly involved in something you know? right when we get into the summertime where we're basically just fishing you know yeah it, it's hard to generate sometimes bow hunting content um you know which we're we're trying to get into some like doing some gear reviews and things like that too to help kind of carry us through the summer a little bit but right yeah i hear you yeah see, see summer is very busy for me um, you know, people get excited about hunting in the West, especially because, you know, come August, we're usually chasing deer and then September elk, you know, um, so like, I, I would imagine you guys are like super busy October, November, um, 
But my slow time is now. You know, this is when I get the least amount of downloads is in the spring. So, but. Do you ever make your way east? You hunt here in the Midwest anywhere or any? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've, uh, I've killed several deer in Illinois. Um, I used to lease land in uh, Brown County. Um, I've hunted Missouri. I've hunted, uh, I've hunted Kentucky. Um, Ohio. I'm trying to think where else that's considered Midwest. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. So much, much like you, I grew up, um, with my dad rabbit hunting all the time. That's kind of what we did. Mm-hmm. We had beagles and stuff like that. So we were always oh, chasing cool. rabbits and yeah, I, archery came into the fold when I was about 13, much like yourself. Um, um parents bought me a, a PSE bow and, um, compound. And of course I had a couple of, uh, I don't know, cheaper and recurved style stuff that I played around with, you know, shooting Coke cans or something in the yard, but, right. um, got into the actual archery side of it when I was about 13 and I've never looked back and, um, you know, I, <clears throat> I used to get here in Illinois, we have two shotgun seasons for, for whitetail and I used to be all in on that and, and I don't even get shotgun tags anymore. I just, I'm just archery period for the most part. Um, yeah. Mike, I, you still do, you still do shotgun, but yeah, I've slid back and forth on that scale a bunch. Um, I went a number of years where I just looked down my nose at rifle hunting and, you know, firearm hunting as a, as a, uh, as a whole really. And I was like, I'm just doing it with my bow, but, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know that changed. It's been a while now, probably 10 years or so that I'm just go out with whatever, (laughs) you know, but I still prefer, I still, uh, associate myself with, uh, bow as a bow hunter you know i still identify as a bow hunter (laughs) yeah you can identify as whatever you like john (laughs) (laughs) Uh, most of my hunts are bow hunting i i prefer i prefer bow hunts over everything else and i don't know half the time i feel like if i would have had a bow in my hand i would have did better anyway um Mm -hmm. because you look at things differently right and you you approach the, you know, it slows you down and it makes you, I think sometimes when you have a, a firearm, you tend to th- think that you're uh, not really invincible, but for lack of better terminology, um, and you just do things, you make different decisions that don't always work. Like I know for a fact on this turkey hunt, if I didn't have a pellet gun in my hand that I knew I could shoot a hundred yards, I probably would have made better decisions and I would have probably got one with the, <laughs> you know, if I had my bow or my compound anyway, at least I did have my recurve, but I only took it out one morning or two mornings actually. So, and I find myself too, as, as my kids get a little older, maybe kind of navigating my way back into the firearm side of it too, just because, you know, it's, it's just another opportunity to get them involved. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so you know, like you say, we we adapt along the way, and I'm not anti firearm. No, no, own, yeah, own many guns, but I, I've always just preferred bow hunt, <clears throat> and um, so now I'm probably going to start getting back into the shotgun scene a little bit. But yeah, I think for happens. me, I I just changed up the way I was hunting. Um, 
like for instance here in Arizona, it's not terribly difficult to get in that 300 yard range of a deer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of a layup shot for me in with my equipment that I use and the amount of practice that I've had. So it just didn't feel that exciting. Um, so now either I try to stalk in closer to bow range or I shoot them from further, much further away. <laughs> so yeah, it changed it up quite a bit for me and, and uh, I made it more interesting anyway. So I wanted to get into some uh, conservation topics and, and ethics and <clears throat> um, have you, give you an opportunity to talk about health and wildlife as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but I wanted to read this quote, if you don't mind, that I found <clears throat> when I was preparing show notes. And the quote says, the hunters are among the most ardent conservationists around. Mm-hmm. In a civilized and cultivated country, wild animals only continue to exist at all when preserved by sportsmen. The excellent people who protest against all hunting and consider sportsmen as enemies of wildlife are ignorant of the fact that in reality, the genuine sportsman is a, by all odds the most important factor in keeping larger and more valuable wild creatures from total extermination. Quote from Eddie Roosevelt, former yep. president. I was going to say, I know yeah, that quote very, very well. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to sum that up, um, anti-hunting and anti-fishing is anti-wildlife, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um if somebody or not somebody if these organizations that are you know fighting to get hunting removed were to succeed i feel that they would succeed in destroying whatever it is they're trying to save and uh you know we see it all the time you know they're always going after large predator hunts bears Mm -hmm. and lions and stuff like that we constantly uh battling that and you know i'm gonna use california because i know the numbers off the top of my head or actually here in arizona too we have about anywhere between 2500 to 4000 lions that's a big scale right there but you know 25 let's take the low end right 25000 lions if they take one deer a week that's 130,000 deer. Wow. <laughs> right? Or 100, 100. They're not going to take a deer every week. They're going to take a big game animal every week. You know, doesn't necessarily have to be deer. So it's 130,000 deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, javelina, and elk. So that's a lot of animals. That's more than we take yeah, with, that's right. more than we hunt. Okay, that's more than we take hunting by far. And, uh, you know, so they don't realize they're, they have this argument. Oh, let's leave them be and it'll go back. You know, it'll balance itself out. The predators will will manage the prey. You don't need to manage them and da-da-da-da-da. That might have been true. You know, they have this, that might have been true if, if we were still like 1 billion people in the world, but we're 8 mm-hmm. billion people and our fingerprint 
our footprint is on everything. And we're a society that consumes and consumes and consumes and consumes. And it's, you know, our duty as the intellectual beings of this planet to, you know, conserve, not preserve, but conserve all, all our resources, wildlife included, and, uh, and manage it so that it's usable, that it's there for everyone, even the non-consumptive people. And I, you know, this, this whole, uh, I don't know what they even call it. I guess it's like a narrative that, or an idea that we are aliens to this planet, that we don't fit into the system, that we don't belong you know, that whole argument, oh, just leave, leave that alone and they'll fix itself. We're, we're part of that. We're part of that mm-hmm. system. We've been part of that, our, you know, for a vital part of it. For everything, since forever, you know, since the human beings have been right. on the planet. And, you know, we've always haunted, we've always fished, we've always, you know, been, uh, even when we weren't hunting, we were gathering, we were taking eggs, we were doing, you know, we were affecting change on the animals of this planet. And now so more so than ever with all our building a forever expansion into their habitat. And, you know, we're, we're sectioning off their habitat and, and changing routes and, all kinds of things that we affect, there's no way that the predator-prey balance is going to um, effectively manage itself. What's going to happen is you're going to have predators are going to knock down the prey so bad that the predators are going to die off. And it's just going to have this big ups and downs, big ups and downs. And, and it's never going to be this, you know, tranquil, uh, well-managed balanced uh ecosystem that doesn't exist anymore that the idea of that is not possible because we see it even in places like british columbia like out in the middle of the boonies where they took away grizzly bear hunting and now you have predator pits you have these big areas that are un seemingly untouched by man but they're they are touched by man there's roads that go through there there's logging and you know especially up there there's a lot of resource uh you know taking oil and gas and stuff like that and gold and god knows what else but um all that affects all that affects them you know so it's stupid right. to think that just let them be and they'll they'll be okay when he's yeah that that go ahead go ahead I was just going to say that that healthy balance um, hunting is so vital to wildlife management. It, I look at it from a couple different angles. It's um, it creates funding um, for the conservation habitat through the state agencies and stuff that, that regulate that. And I don't always agree with some of the things that they come up with and do, um, but it's that funding side of it, but it also helps as you kind of uh, getting to with controlling the prey. Um, yeah, 
Absolutely. I, lost I mean, my, lost my train of thought. You know what I mean? No, no. Yeah, I, I, I get exactly where you're going. So, I mean, hunting and fishing has such a positive impact if managed correctly, especially. Um, I mean, we've that we have so many success stories out there, and I, I think the biggest thing right now for us. There's a few, there's a few things actually, but my first message I'd love to get across is that, and you kind of touched on this earlier and I was going to say something, but I said, I'm like, oh, I'm going to save it. The, us, especially hunting, this, you don't see this so much in fishing, but hunters need to, um, realize that we're all in this together, that we're not, you know, the deer hunter in Illinois and the elk hunter in Arizona. We're both hunters and we're conservationists. We're all, we're all donating to the same pot. We're all part of the same overall pie. We may not hunt in the same States. We may not hunt the same species. We might be bow hunters. We may be rifle hunters. We may be whatever spear hunters. I don't know. But the, the fact of the matter is, that we're all in this, in this together and we need to understand that when issues come up, and this is one of the things that Hal for Wildlife, um, which I sit on the board and I was one of, I'm one of the co-founders of, um, has been, has been pushing and we've been trying to put this message out there that, that you need to be active no matter if it seemingly affects you or not you know that's the thing everybody's like oh what what does a lion hunter in you know in nevada have anything to do with me i live in south carolina right. and i hunt whitetail and hogs you know it does affect you it affects you in a couple different ways one it sets precedence so if they get something like that removed in one state it's much easier for them to get it and eventually it'll be on your doorstep in another state, you know, that's one. Number two, yep. we are hunting only exists because of greed. Okay. I like to put it that way because it's very polarizing and it gets people to listen and think. We are a multi-billion dollar industry. And the only reason why we're allowed to continue it's because of that money for no other reason, because if there was a magic wand that a politician can wave and figure out a way to replace that income, both on the conservation side and, um, in the economy, they would wave that wand and you could say goodbye to hunting because it's the easiest thing to do for them. They don't have to hear the squeaky wheels of the non-hunting public, or excuse me, of the anti-hunting public. It's the path of least resistance. Basically. Exactly, exactly. But we have that on our side, right? I'll tell you a couple of the things we have on our side. We have science. We have integrity, truth, facts, all these great things. Um, and we need to start to learn how I'm going to touch on that as well. We need to start using those things. But so... If there was a way, and they've tried, anti-hunting has tried 
to uh, replace income from the hunting public. And um, once they once they do that, they take away a little bit of your relevance. Okay, they take away a little bit of your your clout, so to speak. And now let's go back to the the lion hunter in Nevada. If the lion hunter in Nevada loses his privileges to hunt lions, now he's no longer. That's all he did. He just liked hunting, hunting lions. That was his thing. And you just lost a couple thousand hunters in Nevada. You lost the revenue for that state. You lost the revenue that gets put into Pittman Robertson, and you lost a thousand voices. So now it does affect you. So you have to think about it like that. So every time that there is a one of the things that Howl for Wildlife has done is we've made it possible, no matter where you live, to voice your opinion on legislation and open comment periods, so on and so forth, stuff that affects wildlife management, um, either pro, pro hunting or fishing or, or anti-hunting and fishing. So you as a sportsman, so a guy in Florida sees a bill here in Arizona about losing mountain lion hunting, bear hunting, and bobcat because that's one of the things that came up. They can voice their opinion. They may not ever come to Arizona to hunt, but they might want to someday or they just know that it affects them because eventually that same bill might be in Florida for whatever it is gators i don't know but you know um that's and that's the mentality so we need to really really be focused on on being good to each other and stop the interfighting like who gives i mean you can you can argue you can have debate you can save that stuff for the campfire you're a bow hunter you're a rifle hunter you're you know elk hunter you're a deer hunter doesn't matter to me we're all hunters um and that's the mentality that you need to have so yeah, well said um you alluded to Hal for wildlife a couple times there and i did want to get into that a little bit so if you don't mind taking a couple minutes to tell people how they can get involved and um as well as uh, in listening to one of your previous shows you talked about how it, it is making a difference that you you were able to uh, generate some attention from some of the legislators with some recent cases um sure understood the show correctly yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've had tremendous success. We we only launched in January, so we're only a few months old, which is crazy. Um, yeah, we um, started off as a grassroots thing. Um, Charles Whitwam and myself, um, we worked on some, some stuff a couple, in the last couple of years, just uh, grassroots style. Realized that there was a need for a tool um, like Howlful Wildlife that um, can help hunters do exactly what we were just talking about, which is voice their opinion on, you know, pieces of legislation um, or stuff that might just be a petition or stuff that's coming up to the Game and Fish Department, so on and so forth. So what Hal does is, well, one, you can 
if you go to alphawildlife.org, there's an, you could become a free member or you can become a paid membership. And our paid membership right now, there's a couple different things. If you, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Go Hunt, um, mm -hmm. as one yeah. of our partners. So to give you an idea, um, their subscription is $149 a year. You be, you can become a member of Alpha Wildlife for $149 and you get in your membership with Hal, you'll get a free membership at Go Hunt. So it's kind of like a no brainer if it's something you've been wanting to do or, you know, you've been kicking around, hey, um, I don't know if I want to spend the $149 to become a member of Go Hunt. Um, it's a great opportunity because now part of your uh, membership will be a tax write-off. Um, you get all the other bene benefits that come with being a HAL member, which is discounts with all our partners, um, chances to win uh, free hunts, and we do monthly giveaways of prizes and so on and so forth to our membership base. So there's, it's a lot more sexy, you know, <laughs> you get a lot more value for that $149. And, um, you're still getting what you wanted, which is great. Um, but if you were to go to the Howl for wildlife, we have like 25,000 members already. And, uh, wow, good. That's awesome. yeah, yeah. Um, that was going to be my next question. So yeah, but that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. We're rivaling some of the legacy ones, the <laughs> legacy orgs that have been around for a long time. Um, but it's because people are realizing they, they're, they seeing, um, how much, change we've affected in you know in the industry so far in, in just a short amount of time um and i keep going around in circles here but if, if you go to hal and you, you go to their action center you'll see there's several bills on there um actually i'll pull it up right now so i can tell you which one's there yeah i'm gonna do the same i'm gonna pull it up as well. um in california there's an anti there's two anti-hunting bills there right now. There's this SB 856, which is really sneaky because on the surface, it's like, oh, cool. That means I just get to hunt hogs, you know, as part of my license. I don't have to pay for a tag. And and you're like, oh, okay, cool. That sounds good to me, right? And you start reading into it. First, you go back to now that's eliminating funding for California Game and Fish, right? That's stupid. Um, but... It's basically getting rid of all these um, these game farms and game ranches where, um, you know, somebody who might be disabled or a kid um, wants to go. It's getting rid of all those places. And it's just, it's anti-hunting. It's, it's supported by HUSIS. Anything that HUSIS supports is not pro-hunting. So, <laughs> um there is a uh, South Carolina, which is a pro hunting bill that we're supporting. That's legalizing hunting on Sunday. Uh, that's almost passed actually. Um, and then there's a, uh, another one for California that they're trying to eliminate bear hunting completely. They already got rid of spring bear several years ago. And now they're trying to get rid of it completely in California. Um, then there's one, another jesus there's three in california now um they're trying to close this waterfowl hunting area um 
so we're you know we're trying to get that stopped and the last one is also a pro hunting and that's uh legalizing hunting in on sunday in pennsylvania so there's been probably 20 different bills that we've been in, involved in this year and we have either progressed in like three months yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome yep um and it is bill season, so the most of them are going to come right now this time of year. Um, mm-hmm. But most of the ones that we've been, oh, I should say almost all the ones that we've been involved with, we either won or we've progressed in in the right direction that we will eventually win here. And awesome. Yeah, so as a, as a user, you'd come to this action, action site or take action center and you click on whatever bill interests you hopefully you click on all of them because that's the that's the premise behind it it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. even if it's not something that you do you should be involved in it right you just go on there you put on you put in your name and your email address and you hit send and that's it boom you just did more for hunting than you ever have (laughs) and it took you about 30 seconds you right. know, I'm, um, I'm looking at that take action site part of it now. Yeah. It's super, super easy. Yeah. Um, and I try to flip this around, Mike, where you can see it. And you can, on the screen here. you know, you can donate, um, you could donate or you could become a member or paid member. And we also have our free membership because we want people to, to be activists. We want people to be involved and I don't want to tell somebody, no, you can only you're only considered, you know, you can, you can only consider yourself involved if you're paying money. So we've, we've created a free membership now. Yes, we would love you to buy a, you know, buy a membership or donate money because this stuff costs a lot of money to run, you know, and we need that money to make things happen. But, uh, we don't want to shun, shun those people that, either can't afford it or just, you know, not in a position to do it, whatever. And we want you to be involved. And that's, that's the main message right there. Yeah, that's awesome. So everybody uh, who tunes into the show, make sure you check out howlforwildlife.org. And as John said, it's pretty simple. It's easy to navigate the site. I've been doing it here the whole time we've been talking. Yeah. Howlforwildlife.org. And then, uh, so the other piece of the puzzle here is, and you won't see this active right now, but by the time you're, this airs, I'm assuming um, this will be active. We're, the, we have our, the other side of our uh, organization is our education program. And basically what we're doing is we're taking a page out of the anti-hunting um you know, community, I'll call them, <laughs> uh, at a page out of their playbook. So <laughs> they, have different adjectives. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be nice here. I'm trying to be politically correct. Um, you don't have to be nice on this show. No. <laughs> um, we're taking a page out of their playbook. So I, I'm sure you've realized this and it's pissed you guys off many times. Um, you know, you go watch a movie and there's a, there's a hunter in that movie or um you see a cart kids cartoon and there's you know elmer fudd or whatever and we're just been portrayed in 
mainstream media as either the villain or creepy or shady, you know, or mm -hmm. even worse, or you know, illiterate, illiterate, red, redneck, yeah, crazy yeah. hillbilly, right. you know, they've, they've done this great job of painting a picture of, you know, guys drinking six packs, riding around in pickup trucks and just shooting willy nilly out of the back of it. You know, and that's, yep. that's the mass, that's the main perception. If you were to grab a non-hunting person who has never had been exposed to it off the street, that's probably the description that you would get from them. And um, it's our goal, and we believe this is what needs to be done. Because if it doesn't happen, a lot of these states are going to, and I'm not sure, sure that the correct terminology, but they're going to... Uh, they're like ballot box initiative states now. Colorado's one of them, okay? Which means if they try hard enough, they can get anything put on on the ballot to be voted on. What happens? It goes on the ballot. They are uniquely set up, and I say they, Husis especially, <laughs> to set up to educate the non-hunting public not educate. Educate is not a good word. Lie to the non-hunting public and fill them with propaganda so that when it's time to vote, all these naive people that don't know have been fed these lies. They're like, oh yeah, I'm going to vote against that. I'm going to vote against that. And then you lose hunting. And that's just the way it's going to go. So it is our goal because yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be nice because I don't want to, I don't want to throw people in the, the bus you right don't now. You have to be nice. <laughs> no, be I, nice. I, I do. Cause I'm, I'm, right now I'm about to talk about our current, our current state with, within the hunting industry. We have all these organizations, right? That, taken a lot of money and we don't have a pact form where all of them work together and all of them pool resources. Anti-hunters have that. They have millions and millions of dollars r ready to go that if something like this with the hit list, we're going to use Colorado again, if this is going to hit the ballot, then it's very good possibility that there's an anti-lion, bear, and bobcat bill that is going to be... We just busted our ass to get out of committee, and we won. But they still might get it on the ballot in November. And if it goes on the ballot in November, I guarantee you, Hughes is going to pump a couple million dollars into mm -hmm. yep. Boulder and Denver which is where the, you know, the majority of the population lives and they're going to, you know, show, show cute and fuzzy bears and mountain lion kittens <laughs> and how we're murdering. Yeah. yeah. So they're going to yeah. do that. And we don't have a way to, to battle that. And right now that's my, my main mission, um, within, within our organization is that's kind of what I'm heading up is that program 
and I'm hoping to have a symposium uh, shortly here in the next couple of weeks and try to have a meeting of the minds. I'm going to try it with the current um, main organizations, but thus far, I've had a lot of pushback from them. They view us as competition. Um, you know, because all these organizations compete for money. They keep, compete for each other, you know, for the same membership base. And um, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go, to be honest with you. And I, if it doesn't go well, my I have other plans in, in place. I have some grassroots efforts that we're going to do. But um, my hope is there's 16 million hunters in the United States and almost close to 20 million in North America. So that's Canada and Mexico. But um, if we were to get, now this is a pipe dream, but if we were to get $10 from every person, that's a lot of money that can be used Mm -hmm. directly to inform all these non-hunters when these projects come, when these, you know, ballots come up. And what I want to do is I want to get things in place that maybe in um, like elementary schools have a section put into the curriculum that talks about the North American model of conservation so that we could start planting seeds like they have been doing for the last six decades in people's minds about what hunting is, what it means to conservation and, you know, what it means to the heritage of this country and what it means to wildlife and that anti-hunting and anti-fishing is anti-wildlife. So it's a big uphill battle and it's, you know, got a quite a bit of a, of a pipe dream, uh, you know, but it, that's, that's what we need to do. If we want to see this continue and I, I mean, we're, we're feeling it out here in the West more than, than guys, um, in the Midwest and, and a lot of, yeah. and a lot of the East too, you don't see it because hunting, there's a lot more hunters, uh, and, there's a lot more. Can I ask you a question real quick? John? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. You be, you being from Brooklyn, I was from Chicago. Mm-hmm. When you were growing up, was there a lot of people that hunted besides yourself and your dad? You know, it felt that way. It felt to me like everybody did, but oh, really? that's, I think that's just a product of, of product of who you hang out with. Right. You, you know, yeah. when you're that, when you're that young, you don't necessarily see, uh, the world beyond your world. So my guess is no, there probably wasn't that many more. I mean, I don't know how old you guys are, but you know, your age, we're, we're the same age as you. Okay, I'm pretty so, old. <laughs> so in the eighties, you know, hunting was still a very, you know, seventies and eighties, hunting was still a very, uh, popular thing. Like, I think it was a little bit more well accepted, but yeah, Back then, um, I was I had to take a hunter's ed course to hunt in New York uh, at nine years old, and um, 
you know, even back then they were teaching us hunters, you know, be very discreet. Don't put the deer on the hood of the car and don't do this. Don't offend people. And, you know, they were talking about all this stuff and they were, we were operating in the shadows, you know, and I don't, and I don't think that's possible anymore. Uh, especially with social media. Um, Oh yeah. All our, you know, we've always taken pictures. We've always, even before we were taking pictures, we were drawing, uh, you know, drawing on cave walls and it's a part of the hunting culture to do the grip and grins, to be celebrating the, the harvest and, and so on and so forth. And now, you know, that stuff is being weaponized against us. So we can't take that backseat, you know, discreet mentality anymore, unless all of us decide to leave social media, which I mean, good luck. We're trying to get that to happen. That's not going to happen. Right. (laughs) But now we need, we need to use that. You know, that's what Hal's doing right now is Hal's using social media and using that, as a tool, as a weapon to fight back, you know, and, um, now we just need to, it's time to change the, the mentality and, and start moving forward. And the, and moving forward is stop hiding and start talking. You know, one of the most important things we can do as hunters is to educate ourselves on the North American model of conservation and, think long and hard as to why hunting is important to you and what you get out of it and be able to verbalize that in an intelligent, uh, concise way and start conversations with people who are not hunting. So, you know, Joe Hunter can have a conversation with Bill non-hunter at the water, you know, at the water uh, hole over there at work and, uh, and have this conversation like, you know, Hey, did you know that, uh, the reason you have access to whatever WMA so-and-so is because of the efforts of hunters and anglers. Did you know that the reason why we still have wildlife on the landscape is because of hunters and anglers and, you know, having those conversations, so that they're more likely to sympathize with you when something comes up on the ballot. And I, th- I think that's, I mean, as a grassroots effort, I think that's something I challenge all of us sportsmen to start doing, to really understand what it is. And, and I don't want you to be like, well, it's my right. You know, that's, that never resonates well with anybody. You get automatically lumped in with the tinfoil hat wearing uh, AR guys, and you're not. Now I got to take my tinfoil hat off since you said that. Exactly. So you know you might be one, but don't come <laughs> off as one. <laughs> don't come off as one. But uh, you, you just have to, you know, you have to think about it from the non-hunters' uh, perspective. Not you're not going to change anti-hunting. No, not likely to change an anti-hunter uh, hunter's mind, but the non-hunting public, they just want truth. Most of them don't have an, a strong opinion one way or the other, but they're easily, you know, that opinion is easily swung by 
you know, a couple of cute pictures of cuddly, uh, cubs and, uh, and the kittens and, and deer suffering, you know, and just stuff like that. It's very easy for their heartstrings to be tugged on by the anti-hunting and filled with propaganda when the reality of it is, you know, it's completely different and it's, it's our jobs. We've done a piss poor job of it, but it's our jobs to let these people know, because if we don't, we're going to lose it all some way or another, it's going to get whittled down. I mean, it won't completely go away just because I, like I had mentioned early because of greed, but trust me, they're, they're figuring out ways to replace that income. There's been a couple of big bills that a bunch of sportsmen have getting behind. And that's the other thing. They're hiding it. And I'm like, listen, guys, you, you, you're looking at this. You're like, oh, yeah, but, you know, that's more funding from the government to, for conservation efforts. But I'm like, you don't understand. That's a way to replace you. And you need to be mindful of that. That, that extra few million dollars or whatever that you're getting for conservation that are coming from, you know, all taxpayers and not just sportsmen, that's a way to replace you. And you, you just, yeah. you, people need to be mindful of that stuff. Yep, absolutely. You made mention that it was an uphill battle <clears throat> and I, I believe, you know, that it's a, it's an uphill battle, one worth engaging in, you know, and just one of the many ways hopefully you can take advantage of that is, is to check out what John's talking about. So so make sure you go, and I'll put it in the show notes too, but check out howforwildlife.org and um, click yeah. that take action button. I, I, I'm doing that as we're conversating here, and there's really good informative information there. So take yeah, advantage of the resource and use it. Real quick, speaking of resources, so I was starting to allude to this, and like most, most time I go off on a tangent, um, it's not on there right, like today you won't be able to see it, but by the time this airs, it will be up there. It's our, um, our education center will be there. And there's a long form article on the truth of conservation. And it goes and it talks about, you know, the funding, talks about all the myths, all the propaganda, uh, all the common stuff, and it gives you ammunition in a very well-thought-out way to have conversations with people. And if you do get into an argument with an anti-hunter, you're armed with the right with the right things to say, and you're not just pulling things out of your ass. Um, it's also designed to educate the non-hunting public. And there's a quiz. There's a 10-question 10, 10 quiz afterwards. If you take the quiz, you get rewarded with like a coupon. Uh, right now, it's 20 or 25% off uh, purchasing anything from Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, but there'll, oh, be, there'll be other you know incentives on there uh, for somebody to take. It, you know, if, they take, if they read that and take the quiz... And pass it, of course. But um, and there's a big resource center on there. It's going to have all these different. Well, it has all these different uh, categories of you know trapping and big game hunting and you know uh, large predator management, hounds, all all this stuff in there. 
and it's all like really well-written articles that in inform people on those specific things and why they're important and and what they mean to conservation and so on and so forth so it's a really good um resource for for the non-hunting and for the hunting public so um that's really important so it'll be a it's just be it'll be how education excellent yep so I will put all of that in the show notes and uh, that way it's easily clickable, accessible for anybody who wants to check it out. And I encourage you to do so. So appreciate all that information, man. That's uh, that's good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I wanted to pick your brain on something. I, I sent you this in the email yesterday. Um, this is something I've been really looking forward to asking you about. And, and it's because uh, Mike and I have dedicated a couple of entire podcasts to this very topic. Topic. Um, I know that it's different here in the Midwest, uh, just different landscapes than what you know the, the Western hunters uh, are mm-hmm. have out there. But I wanted to get your thoughts on the trail camera bands that are becoming more and more prominent. It seems like in those Western states. And yeah, we lost it here in Arizona, and they lost it in Utah. Well, not completely right. in Utah, but it's cl- it's pretty damn close. <laughs> um, so. The problem with the trail cam thing that we saw here specifically in Arizona and the reason why we weren't going to win to keep it. Yes, it was initially uh, initiated by anti-hunting, but the problem with that situation is there's so many hunters that are opposed to the cameras. Mm-hmm. Um and here in Arizona, what they did is they made it, and you probably don't see this in the Midwest because you, there's not as much public land, but they made it uh, an area of contention because there was, you know, conflict. So in Arizona, it's very dry, obviously. And the animals are tied to water. They have to, they have to come to watering holes to drink there's not you know free running creeks and you know puddles and it doesn't rain often enough to have water in multiple places so the the water here is very destination oriented so a lot of times we'll run trail cameras on water holes and in these big trophy units like in the strip or like unit nine and ten for elk um you know Nine, so nine, for instance, is a very, very dry unit. Uh, there's a lot of guzzlers and uh, cattle tanks and so on and so forth out there for the wildlife. Uh, but because it's such a big business, they these outfitters especially, and a guy who just drew a tag, they'll have like 10 cameras on one water hole. And it was creating two problems. One, it was stressing the animals out a little bit. And two, if a guy was hunting it, let's say during archery deer season or something like that, um, there was people coming to check the camera while that person was hunting there. And there was more human conflict. Um, 
So it was a really slippery slope for us here. Um, because, yeah. like I said, there were so many hunters that were against it because people were just tired of the bullshit. Like, I don't want to deal with a guy walking into my water hole to check his camera while I'm hunting it. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it honestly, most of this could have been easily solved. Like, I think a lot of the problems that we face at hunters could be easily solved by coming up with a code of ethics, you know, that all hunters should read and hopefully abide to because, you know, we see almost all the conflict that I have out in the field. It's always the same things. It's people being disrespectful of other people. Like, I, you know, sitting here in the West. Okay. We, we glass a lot. We use binoculars a lot on tripods and we'll climb up to a high point and we'll, you know, look over large expanses and you'll be sitting there and then another guy will come and sit, you know, 50 yards on the same ridge as you glassing. <laughs> and like, it's public land, so you don't yeah. have a right to say anything. Right. And most of the time, me personally, I don't care, especially if the person is like, hey, do you mind if I sit over here? Or, you know, it starts a conversation with me. But then there's these people that just come up and they just plop themselves out. They don't even acknowledge your existence. And that's a completely different yeah. story, right? And that just, that me Absolutely. personally gets yeah. me going. But, um, so <laughs> the trail camera is the same situation. It's people not giving a shit about other people. And once again, going back to hunters not caring about other hunters because they only care about what's, what we've, we've been very good at only caring about what's only important to us, right? And it's just changing that mentality. So we lost trail cameras here because we can't get along with each other. And anti-hunting saw that as an easy, easy place to stick their wedge. Mm-hmm. And they did, and they won. Yep, got their talons out, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's a lot different here for us than it is out west, and that's why I wanted to preface that. But, you know, we use trail cams here a lot for oh, yeah. multitude of reasons. One, it allows, especially cell cams, so it allows us to stay out, you know, we're less mm-hmm. intrusive. Um, but one thing that's super important to me <clears throat> is uh, my daughter and I will spend a lot of time uh, combing through some of those photos and, and um, it's kind of something that we do together, you know, and it, it excites us and gets us fired up for what we see on there. Um, oftentimes we end up, I like to say, we oftentimes end up chasing a ghost, you know, because yeah. we'll see, uh, we'll have that trail camera <laughs> shot of 150, 160 inch deer, whatever it may be. And, mm-hmm. uh, and our, our entire focus goes on that deer and never see that damn deer again. You know, it's that one shot that he just happened to be passing through in front of my trail camera at that given date and time. Right, but, right that deer becomes the ghost that, that we chase and, and we have fun with that, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's for me, I think it's an extremely effective tool, especially as an outfitter. Like now right. I just lost That's a tool. Yeah. Now I just lost a tool to, um, you know, one aid my, my clients to the tool for me to sell, sell hunts, you know, for a guy wants, you know, wants to come out here is not sure. He's like, ah, oh, well, you know, what can I expect? 
what am I going to show right. him a picture from yep. three years ago? Oh, this is the kind of a year you can expect, you know. <laughs> right. It, yeah. you can't, it's, this view was here about two and a half years ago. Check this out. <laughs> right. Exactly. Is you it know, still so, there? I think <laughs> it's just um, it, it's a shitty situation. And you, you mentioned yeah, cell yeah. cell cam. So the year before they got rid of cell cam here, <clears throat> and they thought they were. You know, that was a completely anti-hunting thing because it's not fair. It's not fair chase. People are taking, you know, sending you a picture and you know the animal's there. So you're going in there. Listen, that animal's going in there for freaking one minute to take a drink of water and yep. then it's turning around and leaving. It's not going to be there when you get there. But right, Absolutely. And. We've talked about that here. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so they got that to getting rid of, but that also increased more human conflict because now somebody has to physically go and check a trail camera. Sure. So, yeah. you know, what did you do? What you, you didn't do anything. You didn't solve shit. Now they got rid of now they got rid of it altogether <laughs> just because the game and fish department doesn't want to deal with it. That's yeah, and that's the problem, you know. It just became too much of a hassle. All right, you know, it's too much of a hassle. I'm going to get rid of it. And like I said, there was a lot of hunters that were for getting rid of it because they didn't want the conflict anymore and they felt that it leveled the playing field, which I don't I see. I look at it differently. See, there's a big thing where over here where they think that outfitters kind of like monopolize all the bigger animals because, you know, we have governor tags and stuff like that where, you know, a guy will come and spend $400,000 to get an elk tag. And on top of that, these outfitters are, you know, charging another $100,000 to find the biggest and baddest in the, in the whole state. Um, so it's big money, you know, and so there's a, there's a lot of competition and the, the average Joe views that as well, if these guys don't have trail cameras, they can't, they can't do that. But the reality of it is it actually hurts the Joe Hunter because now the Joe Hunter doesn't have that, you know, they don't have the time that an outfitter has and they don't have the staff. You know, me as yep. an outfitter, if I had if I had a uh, governor's tag or raffle tag winner uh, client, I can afford to have five guys out there for three months just scouting and say, okay, the guy that finds yep. me the biggest and baddest is going to get a fifteen thousand dollar bonus because I just sold this hunt for a hundred grand. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's still have more time. Yeah. Yeah, we went through a, a whole bullet point list on our, our thoughts on the whole thing. And, and Mike over there isn't known for his wisdom all the time. <laughs> Shut <laughs> but, up. <laughs> but one of uh, one of his comments that he made that I hadn't even thought through at all was uh, something you alluded to a minute ago was the impact that that has on, on you, the outfitter. Um, you know, you get that hunter coming from, say, Pennsylvania or wherever, you know, that yep. is coming out there for that once-in-a-lifetime hunt, you know, and you don't have that trail camera tool anymore, you know. And, yeah. yeah, especially if a guy has a an expectation, you know, hey, I, I want to come mm -hmm. out there and I only want to shoot, you know, X amount of inches or better. Right. Uh, me as an outfitter, I try to avoid that completely. I'm like, listen. If your expectation is you just want to shoot a mature animal, I'm your man. I don't chase inches. Um, the only way I chase inches is if you're paying for an actual trophy hunt, and then I will 
there'll be a scouting package put together and we'll have pictures, you know, so on and so forth. But on a general hunt, I, I don't even, man, I don't even entertain that. I, right. they don't know it yet, but I'm, I'm basically talking them out of hunting with me. Um, because that's just the way I am. I, I could already tell that's not going to be a good relationship. I'm not, I don't do, I don't do the outfitting thing to feed my family. So, <laughs> you know, sure. I want it to right, be yep. enjoyable, but absolutely. Um, uh, Mike, do you have any more comments or questions for John before we, no, 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 no. go. Okay. No, we're golden. Um, that was a lot of really good content and uh, I appreciate all the time and, and devotion to the, to the sport and the, what we do, man, as, as hunters and conservationists and, um, it's good stuff. So, yeah, appreciate you very much, uh, talking about all of that and coming on here and doing it. Absolutely. No, oh, I appreciate you guys having me on.